Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another VCO Esports studio with myself, Ben Constantin-Juris. Now, this week we have an apology to make. We have been neglecting a major part of the world of esports racing and motorsport in general, and through really no fault of uh, certainly myself or any of us, because we all love a bit of oval racing, and especially when it comes to iRacing, there is such a healthy world of American motorsport, US uh, oval racing over there, and of course, they have their headline NASCAR championship each year. And so, whilst we are also making sure that you guys vote for the best oval racing driver in our Simi Awards, we also thought it would be appropriate to invite the effectively world oval champion uh, into our studio this evening. Keegan Leahy? Leahy? That's about right, isn't it? Leahy. Leahy. can start with okay. that, though. That's <laughs> um, I used to have a friend, uh, in I think in England you'd be called Leahy, to be fair, because he used to be spelt exactly the same way. Um, uh, now, Keegan isn't an American. Well, he is an American, but he isn't a, from the US of A, a Canadian world champion in oval racing. Do you get much stick? Firstly, for being Canadian and winning over racing, Keegan. <laughs> I get a lot more patriotic pride from Canadians than I get stick from the Americans. So that's no problem. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm definitely welcome in the series. So, uh, yeah, I can't say that. It is absolutely awesome uh, to watch such an incredibly tight championship throughout the year. Such a competitive one and such a difficult one to ultimately take the championship, right? Yeah, uh, it's an extremely competitive series. You know, uh, the cars aren't extremely difficult to get that last 10th out of. So it ends up with a lot of the drivers are very close on speed. Um, you know, it takes top of the, the top drivers to make some small differences in lap time. But really where the differences come down to sometimes is race preparation. So getting your setup just right. Um, hitting your qualifying lap every lap, which is ultimately what led me to getting the championship last uh, last race at Texas, and then racecraft, honestly, being able to um, make the difficult and aggressive moves when it comes down to it, uh, but also pick and choosing your battles and, you know, playing a little safe sometimes. So, you know, it's small edges, a game of little probabilities and little edges, and something I like because I like to play poker and that sort of thing, so I kind of treat it the same way. And absolutely, it's, it's very much the same philosophy. Uh, why do you say qualifying so important? Because I thought over racing, it's easy to pass. Well, yeah, it's it's easier to pass than a road course because usually once you get inside the inside position on somebody, especially with how we have the side draft now, you can really pull people back and then just send it on the inside for the next corner and you're clear. Um, but we also have the aerodynamic effect where the closer you get to a car ahead, less downforce you have so we have that turbulent dirty air we call it um, in the corners so you can get separated and it's tough to make passes on people that are close to your pace so um, now and that's not to say it's impossible to pass because Logan Clampett my championship rival from last year that I ended up beating barely uh, he started 34th I believe and we had a uh, we had no cautions he drove it straight to the front past 32 cars got up to second place uh, and was right on my rear bumper in the last few laps, pretty much. But um, yeah, it, it's qualifying is important. And I qualified second 
when he qualified 34th. I think he had the faster race car, so and driving really well as well. And I think that qualifying was definitely one of the contributing factors, maybe the reason I won the championship this year. Strategy is a massive thing in oval racing. Uh, and how does it work for you guys? Are you doing everything yourself? Is it pre-planned or do you have a an engineer spotter that's working alongside you um, as a human rather than a computer? Uh, well, I should back it up a little bit farther, too, just to explain. Uh, if anyone doesn't follow the Coca-Cola series um, or the real-life NASCAR stuff, there's a playoff system. So, you know, the first 14 races, we're just trying to get into the final 10. But then the final four races, it goes from top 10 drivers to only the final four drivers who are able to win the title at the end of the year in the final race. Everyone races, but uh, those are the only four elig eligible drivers at the end of the year so. It was me, Logan Clampett, who I raced uh, at the end of the end of the race for the title, and then also Mitchell DeYoung, as everyone knows Mitchell, I'm sure, and then Bobby Zelensky, who has also been competing in Porsche stuff. And you know, those three guys, Logan, Bobby, and Mitchell, are all uh, very close to uh, or are already at the pro level in Porsche uh, or other road series. And uh, you know, I'm the kind of the odd guy out where I just focus on oval. It's kind of weird. But yeah, when you when you ask about strategy, you're totally right where strategy makes a pretty big difference. Um, and I neglected to mention that earlier because, you know, it's one thing to pass one car, but if you can pull a strategy off that's better than your competition and you pass five or ten cars that way, um, that's huge. But the thing is, strategy is really determined by how the cautions fall in NASCAR. So whenever there's a crash, you know, in real life, you got to wave the yellow flag and, and slow the cars down. And we do, you know, full course cautions no matter what. There's no such thing as a lo local yellow in NASCAR. So um, how those cautions fall determines when you want to pit, when you want to change tires. And that's something you can't plan before the race. You can kind of think about situations. You can at least look at your fuel range and also determine, okay, do I want to do full stints on fuel or do I want to come in and change tires earlier under green flag conditions? Um, that's the kind of thing you work out before the race. But most of the stuff you're kind of acting on the fly because it really determines it's determined by those cautions. And presumably also determined by what other people around you are doing. So do you have a, a spotter? Do you have a, a human engineer watching in game? following other competitors, following what's going on so that you can make the right call. Yeah, sure. Sorry, I missed the last part of your question there. And uh, you're right. Um, we do use some engineers. We call them crew chiefs. So uh, mine's Matt Bontempi. He's, he's someone I've known for a really long time. And we've worked together for a lot of years. And uh, so he's my he's my crew chief. He's also kind of my spotter. You know, he's not telling me, you know, there's Cartier inside, Cartier inside, Cartier outside now, that sort of thing. I, I can see that. And I also have the computer spotter uh, telling me that stuff. You know, the computer spotter doesn't tend to make mistakes. So I, even though I very much trust my, my crew chief map on Tempe, I don't trust him as a spotter every time. Uh, I prefer to rely on that computer spotter. But um, yeah, so Matt does a lot of that strategy stuff. You know, when my competitors are unexpectedly making, making a pit stop um, or they're staying out longer than expected, can let me know that other information about the race like who's fast um for example in the championship race logan clampett was marching his way through the field um i was getting that information relayed to me by matt 
and he was letting me know lap times, and I kind of changed my strategy up a little bit depending on how he was running that race. So, you know, again, these little edges make a lot of difference when it comes down to it when everyone's so close together, and um, I think my strategy calls at the end of the race made up the difference, potentially, uh, in the half second that I was able to maintain over Logan at the end of the race. <laughs> yeah, tiny margins. Um, now, another thing that happens in the real world of NASCAR is that drivers kind of team up, whether they're actually in the same team or whether they just kind of buddy up because they're friendly with each other uh, in the paddock. Um, if you make enemies, then like we always have found in the old days of touring cars, then you can find yourself in the wall pretty quickly and, and you can find yourself in all kinds of strife because it is so close that you kind of need the respect around you. How do you establish that when it's a virtual series where you're not hanging out with the drivers in the same room um, in the real world? Obviously, you are virtually. But how do you manage relationships so that they, you get treated well on track? Yeah, there's a lot of un unwritten rules when it comes to NASCAR racing. Um it's one thing to just crash somebody on purpose, but also just doing stupid moves that causes other people's races to get ended. Um, you know, that ruins your reputation. Uh, luckily, I haven't had too many of those instances. You know, I had one or two guys mad at me earlier this year, but, you know, it's minor stuff in the grand scheme of things. And, um, you know, if you want to get raced well and you don't want to get doored, you don't want to get damaged through the race, uh, you got to command the respect that you deserve too and and offer that to your competitors so you know i try to race the same way i would expect others to race me aggressively when it comes down to it but um you know reserved when you're uh just at the start of a race and trying to keep, be careful not to <clears throat> crash my own car let alone my competitors too so yeah that that's pretty important now i would say that you were talking about how there's competitors that work together as well outside of the official teams. That's true. The reason for that is because uh, there's a lot of preparation that goes into these races. So, for example, uh, you know, it, it just takes me a couple of hours to get used to an oval track. Uh, admittedly, it's not too difficult to get around an oval track once you're used to how to drive them. Um, you know, one one's much like the other. There's a few bumps and a few changes to the line that you got to work on, but it really comes down to know having that sense of the tire limit and being able to maintain on it consistently just like in a road course race um, but what the preparation time really comes down to is setup building so these cars are extremely complicated very aero sensitive um, and they're asymmetric so we're only turning left so you don't make a symmetric car with equal springs on all sides and 50 percent cross weight and that sort of stuff um, you have to make the cars extremely asymmetric to optimize them for turning left and that is much harder than it even sounds. Uh, there's so much that goes into the setups, and it takes so much man hours. And that's why there's a lot of uh, alliances behind the scenes is because people need not just one driver, one setup builder to make a car. Uh, usually it needs at least four people working hard on it to you know, attack a problem from multiple different angles. I'd say with Coanda Simsport and at least the Oval Division with me, Mitchell, Bobby Zelensky, and Chris Shearburn, we're one of the smaller groups when it comes down to these technical alliances of total people working on a setup and preparing for races. Um, but, you know, we, we think we're the best, and uh, we, we showed that by having three of us make it into the, into the playoffs. But, um, you know, of course, 
again, margins are super small and one team can be strong one week and another could be another week. And you talk about the setup, presumably now you've got somebody building the setup for you, but back in the day, getting to that point, getting into the, the world championship, if you like, you must have had a pretty in-depth understanding of how these setups work. How, how did you learn that? How do you find out? Because it, it isn't, it's so hard even to feel through trial and error how it works. So what was kind of your method? Yeah, actually, let me correct you on that a little bit because uh, on our team specifically, the, the Coanda Simsport Alliance uh, for NASCAR, the four of us are the only four people that work on the setup each week. So it's oh, four okay. drivers and four setup builders, and it's one and the same. Now, that was a dream and like a, a vision I had for the perfect team because my my imagination, my, my philosophy here is uh, as competition gets harder and harder, you know, setups become closer and closer, the edges get smaller and smaller, and a setup builder has to be an extremely good driver as well in order to find those small little differences in lap time. You know, someone that's driving even a tenth off per lap isn't going to feel um, when the setup's been improved a hundredth of a second. And those hundredths, I'm not exaggerating, that's what we're chasing is hundredths each time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the four of us, that's it. Uh, we don't have a dedicated setup builder, it's just us four. Um, so yeah, uh, sorry, uh, I guess uh, I focus too much on racing and stuff and I haven't exercised my memory well enough. What was the second part of your question there that I can help answer? <laughs> uh, how did you uh, how, how did you learn how to set up these cars when they're right, so complex? Yeah. So yeah, you're definitely right um, that getting into the series is just as dependent on your setup building skills uh, as uh, as being in the series. So um, that's something that I kind of was, uh, I became known for is like, you know, I'm, I'm a good driver, but I became known as the setup builder guy that pushes the limits and finds crazy stuff that works. Um, so, you know, through the years, like starting in 2015, I guess, I started working on the setups really hard and uh, pushing the limits and making the best setups on the service for certain tracks. Um, and eventually, like some years, we would have crazy setups. Like, for example, uh, in 2018, the speed was um, starting the ride heights up extremely high to get past tech inspection with a lot more camber. So as the front end traveled down, tires kind of squatted out and you'd get more camber out of the right front tire and that was extremely fast worth a lot of speed and we were the first to really perfect that and it was a huge advantage now this year that's not really as much of an advantage so there's not really any crazy setup things so it's really about fine-tuning but yeah building up my skills through the year and really focusing on setup stuff really paid off it there's, there's no other excuse than just putting a lot of time into something to get better at it. Uh, I was I, I started off by just watching YouTube videos of people who were doing setup building seminars. So the late David Cater was probably the first one that I watched. Uh, really, really grateful for his work and making stuff so clear and, and uh, really being the first guy to put out that sort of content back in the day. But, you know, over time, you know, just asking people that were willing to share information and building up my own knowledge. Plus, uh, I studied physics, so that kind of helped uh, with that sort <laughs> of mindset. 
Um, but yeah, so I was going through university at the same time doing meteorology. So uh, yeah, a lot of work, um, a lot of careful thought, and I would say avoiding bias because I hear it so much doing yeah. coaching with VRS that people come up with these ideas. Okay, you need to get the tire pressures equal. Why? <laughs> it's just some random rule that someone came up with. Oh, you need to get the tire temperatures across the center and inside edge of the tire the same. Oh, <laughs> that's not a rule. Uh, so that sort of thing, like people get stuck on hard rules and that limits their ability to expand their knowledge. They get preconceived ideas. That yeah, but I wrong. also imagine if you gave your setup to a real NASCAR team, uh, mm-hmm. I imagine that it wouldn't necessarily work in the real world. And is, is that where those biases come from? Because people read up about the logic behind, you know, not running too much camber so that you don't wear out the inside of the of a tyre so it goes pop. But it not, might not necessarily do that on iRacing. And so there's a different approach and in fact not just i racing across all the different platforms that there is sim racing you can do things you can't do in the real world yeah it is what it is in sim racing right we're we're simulating the world and just like you know i mentioned i do meteorology and uh, studied that um meteorology is all simulation now we simulate the atmosphere uh to try to predict what the weather will be in a week and it's not perfect and it can't be because it's so infinitely complex uh that computers can't keep up and our math can't quite keep up sometimes so yeah uh, in iRacing I would say the biggest reason that setups are different in iRacing compared to real life isn't necessarily the physics Uh, it's what we're starting with and what the tech inspection limits are so at least in NASCAR like Mm -hmm. we've got certain tech inspection limits and we've got certain things we can do to the car to adjust the balance in real life a lot of the stuff that we're doing and trying to solve on iRacing would be solved by changing suspension arms and getting past tech inspection in, in really weird ways and uh, really complex aerodynamic effects that maybe aren't simulated in iRacing. Um, that's where the differences lie, and I don't fault iRacing at all for being a little off base on certain setup parameters. But really, um, the same things we're going for are the same things in real life. It's not chasing tire temperatures it's not not chasing tire pressures not chasing certain ride heights through the corner it's chasing lap time so that's what i do Mm. i make an adjustment see if it improves the lap time that's extremely simplified of course but you know the real number to look at is lap time you want it to go down (laughs) and to be honest the only way you can do that is to be at the kind of level that yourself and and the world champion elite are in in any form of motorsport because if i try and do that chasing a setup my consistency of driving even on oval is still not good enough to actually be able to go that was better that was worse um because actually lap per lap the driving might not be quite as good (laughs) um so you are in a privileged position to be able to do that Uh, i want to move away quickly because i know that uh this could go on forever if we if we just wax lyrical it's very interesting stuff um why nascar why i racing where did it come from in the first place were you a nascar fan when when you were younger yeah and just to yeah add on to that last point i guess just um that's what took me so long to get into setup building as well is because i had to improve my driver skills too just like you're mentioning it's hard to feel that stuff <laughs> so yeah i was a nascar fan all the way since the beginning like that's one of my first memories was watching jeff gordon stuck in the grass in his rainbow car 
for some reason, and then he became my favorite driver. You know, that's how kids' memories work. We kind of link stuff together when they're probably not related, but for some reason, Jeff Gordon became my favorite driver, whether or not it was because he crashed that particular race or not, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've always been a NASCAR fan. Uh, never really any other form of motorsport until recently. Um, I'm a huge Formula One fan now. I love it. Uh, probably because a lot of the stuff I was talking about earlier on, um, you know, about finding incremental improvements and uh, engineering the cars and that sort of stuff. That's what I like about F1. I love watching the, the whole story, not just the race, not just the drivers. I like to watch how the cars are developed through the year. That's super cool to me. Um, but yeah, the, I was always a NASCAR fan, and that's probably why I got into sim racing as well. Uh, I was playing Forza Motorsport from 2008 to 2013, I guess. Uh, the new Xbox came out, and my, re- my wheel wasn't supported uh, on the Xbox One. So uh, I decided to move over to PC because I had a gaming PC, and I looked for the best. I, I looked up racing sim with NASCAR in it. That was iRacing. <laughs> so I... I jumped into iRacing. Luckily, I made the right choice because definitely the best platform, I would say, uh, for sim racing and especially NASCAR stuff. Um, but yeah, from from then on, I just started in 2013, and you know the rest of the story. Uh, there other NASCAR games do exist, but they're definitely not as good, <laughs> especially the one I used to play back in the day. Uh, well, they're not as simulation. Like, they're, they're good. They're good in their own way, I would say, but they're not sims. No, no, exactly. Uh, and what are your guilty pleasures on, on iRacing then? Obviously, NASCAR has become kind of your professional w- way of going about things. Do we find you doing ovals, the Monza oval in a in a Dallara uh, IndyCar? Or are you doing circuit stuff? You said you like Formula One. Are you trying out the Williams on there? My guilty pleasure is putting this bad boy up to 100% force feedback uh, making a lot of work for the motor and running Nürburgring Lotus 79, probably the highest, craziest force feedback thing in the game, and uh, push that thing <laughs> to the limit and push my arms to the limit a little bit too. Um, but yeah, I like running the, running the Nürburgring. I'm not good at it. I just like doing it. <laughs> it's, it's nice to do a, play iRacing and not be worried about lap time. It's a good time. It gives you an appreciation as to why the racing drivers of those days looked so different to the Formula One drivers we have now. They're all kind of butch back in the day, and now they're all skinny jockeys because they they needed to be, didn't they, to muscle those cars around the track? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Without power steering back in the day, it was even worse. But um, yeah, I just like the Lotus 79, I guess, on iRacing because I don't think there is any sort of power steering. Maybe there's a little bit, but like when you hit a curb, it's going to... No, it's it's an it's an instant uh, spike of force feedback, and it's really fun because when you're driving around, you can't just be smooth with your wheel. You have to be extremely active uh, all the way through the corner, and like, even down the straightaway, you can barely hold the thing straight. So I, I just love it; it's fun. Um, and we just got a quick glimpse of your rig there. Where is that seat from? Yeah, sure. Here, I'll uh, give you a better glimpse of it now. So. Uh, you know, I was I was smashing on my VRS Direct Force Pro wheelbase. Um, I've got their pedals underneath as well. My cable's not long enough to show you right now. Triple monitors, you know, they're just the cheapest ones I could find, honestly. Uh, <laughs> they're 
1080p ones I might upgrade later. But the seat uh, itself is out of my uncle's old Oldsmobile 2003-something <laughs> Alero. Um, so it's just an old car seat. And then my, my frame is made out of wood. Uh, I made that myself with my dad, and we painted it black. Um, eventually going to get the VRS wow. rig as well, probably retire the old Oldsmobile seat. But, you know, nothing special here. This is just uh, my DIY rig with some fancy pants uh, wheel and pedals, honestly. But the uh, rest of it's pretty simple. <laughs> what happened to the rest of the car? Oh, that's junk at this point. That was That was a parts car to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> amazing that's absolute proof that uh, you can be a world champion you do not need 15 20 30 000 euros pounds dollars worth of of sim racing equipment although you know your wheels your wheel and pedals are top top spec you don't necessarily yeah, they're, they're need a, a fireproof all, seat all in. yeah probably a grand to oh, that's not too bad whole, yeah well vrs is i'm not trying to make this into an ad but like vrs is uh meant to be top quality but also as low price margins as possible so it's, it's meant to be the clear choice for that sort of stuff but um yeah i wanted to keep the cost down when i first started on iRacing. you know i was a poor college student and i started off with logitech wheel and pedals and you know if you're i'd say most people watching your show are already very much into sim racing but if you are just getting started um Vera, or sorry logitech wheel and pedals are great to start off with they're 300 bucks if you can find them on sale and uh that's what I got into the Coke series with. That's what Logan Clampett almost beat me with. He finished second uh, in the championship this year. And, you know, I would say if you're really going for performance and money's not an issue, go for a direct drive and nice pair of pedals, uh, perhaps like mine. And uh, beyond that, you know, that's just chasing hundreds and tenths, really. Um, what do you think, Ben? Do you think uh, direct drive and like high end equipment is an advantage on the roadside? Oh, I do the questions. Can't believe that I'm being asked. Um, honestly, I think it gives you a small advantage, um, but I don't think it's the be all and end all for enjoyment. But certainly, certainly a pedal, uh, a brake pedal for me makes a huge difference. The the feel yep. and, I and echo the, your thoughts and completely. The, I mean, maybe not totally necessarily agree. NASCAR so much because you're never really touching the brakes. Uh, certain tracks you do, and we do do a few road courses through the year. We've had three road courses, so um, that matters. And, okay. you know, Bobby and Mitchell obviously are dominating those for the most part. Um, Mitchell won two of them, and he should have won the third, but uh, and pulled off some really nice strategy and held him off. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the brake especially, you're right, um, helps a lot. Maintaining, like, threshold braking and being yeah. consistent on your brakes is pretty important on road. Um, but yeah, the force feedback gives you a little edge. I would say it's a tenth. What do you think? Tenth of a second on road? Depends <laughs> on the track. <laughs> yeah, sure, certainly. Um, one last question. What, what happens next, Keegan? Because you've got your, you've got championships in in your pocket. You you've proven you're the best in the world in NASCAR. Do you go and try and do something different? Do you try and go into circuit racing, or are you just trying to be the best in ovals on iRacing? Period. Forever. Yeah, so I won the championship this year, but that isn't to say that I don't have room for improvement. So, you know, I'm going into next year trying to back it up with a second championship. Um, you know, I've made it into the playoffs, the final eight or the final 10. 
uh, in the four years I've raced so far, but was only able to pull the championship off once. So it goes to show how uh, you got to have a little bit of luck too, um, and you got to be the best to to really make it to the end. So I've got room to improve, especially my road course stuff. I'm running around 10th in these road course races we do, and NASCAR is trending more towards road racing and uh, also short tracks, which hasn't always been my cup of tea. So, you know, I've got uh, I've got some work to do to, uh, you know, make sure I can compete at the top level next year as well. And beyond that, you know, I do a lot of VRS work, trying to do a lot of coaching. That's fun. That's my day job. Uh, VRS and iRacing and NASCAR are allowing me to commit to sim racing full time. Uh, so that's really nice for me. But beyond that, you know, just trying to keep up with my hobbies. You know, I, I want to start learning the guitar. We were talking a little bit before the for this uh, podcast interview here that I'm learning French a little bit. So, you know, skills outside of sim racing is fun to improve on as well. And uh, I'm ended up spending most of the last few weekends uh, home brewing some, some beer. So uh, that's been my hobby recently cool. too, getting into some home brew. Uh, but so, you know, uh, just some stuff outside of sim racing keeps me sane, I guess, but a lot of work will go into NASCAR next year, and especially the road course stuff. I love that. I love that there's a, there's a world outside of sim racing for you. That's really cool. And you can even predict the weather. Um, so that's even better. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Keegan. It's been absolutely illuminating. And actually, we could have spoken for way longer than we have already. Although I think we've probably gone longer than many of our interviews over the last couple of weeks. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem, Ben. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone at VCO. Just a reminder then uh, that we do have the VCO Simi Awards coming up. Uh, and only a few weeks left of voting. There is an oval um, section that we've added to it, and Keegan is one of the drivers that could be voted for as the best oval racer uh, out there. So uh, obviously you already proven it on track, winning the championship, and uh, a fantastic, interesting chat. Remember, you can also listen uh, to all of these VCO Esports studios on your favourite podcast provider if you don't want to look at my ugly face. Uh, you can just listen, which is perhaps even better. Uh, there are over 60 different drivers, organisers, um, and various other celebrities of the sim racing world on there. So very, very much worth having a listen. Thank you very much for joining us. Until next time... Enjoy your sim racing. Bye-bye.